let's talk about today. And to do that, I want to share a story that is not, uh, doesn't hold up as well as it used to, but I'm going to share it anyway because I still like it. And it's a story that kind of goes like this. There was a man who passed on from this world and goes to heaven. And he goes and he starts walking through these pearly gates and he's met by Jesus. And he's so excited to see Jesus and Jesus is welcoming him in. He says, let me show you around. Let me take you to your new home. And as they're walking down the streets of gold, seeing all the beautiful sights and seeing so many things along the way, they're walking down the street and suddenly there's this big, beautiful mansion off to the side. And he's like, wow, these are beautiful. And he says, look over there at that one. He goes, that, is, that a, is that a New England Patriots flag out front? And Jesus says, yes, that, that's Tom Brady's house. And he goes, wow, that's really, and maybe it's a Buccaneers flag today, I don't know. Um... He goes, that's really, really nice. He goes, yep, yeah, it is. It's beautiful. And they're walking a little further along, and they've seen all these other different houses. And then they finally come to the end of the street where there's like the biggest house that he's seen so far, the biggest mansion, and it's decked out with cult stuff everywhere. And the man is curious. He says, Jesus, why did, why did Tom Brady, you know, get that size of house and then Peyton Manning get this big of a house? And Jesus is like, that's not Peyton Manning's house. That's mine. It's a silly joke. I get it. But as we tell that joke, we say these kind of stories, and you could probably think of 100 jokes. Maybe some of them are less appropriate to tell in church than that one. Um, But we've all heard stories that start with, a man dies and goes to heaven, right? Or we see a cartoon, and suddenly there's all these people wearing white robes and playing harps in the city in the clouds. And there's all this imagery that we have floating in our head when the word heaven comes up, right? Right? Is that fair? Streets of gold, mansions. We just sang about some of it, right? Imagery that comes into our mind when we say the word heaven. And here's the thing. As we start unpacking stuff, as we start wrestling with heaven, there's a lot of questions that come up. There's a lot of questions about, like, well, when do we actually go? Are we all going together? Some people going immediately? Are they just asleep for a while? Like, we get into all this stuff. Was it really going to be individual mansions? Are we all... And there's so many questions. And our imaginations run wild, right? How many of us have overactive imaginations? I'm... Yeah, there we go. Right there. It's amazing some of the stuff that my brain can come up with. I said sometimes it's harder for me to read something than it is for me to watch something because what my brain can create is so much worse sometimes or so much better than what somebody else may have created with a limited budget on a screen. Does that make sense? Like our brain is capable of so much amazing stuff. But I also think that when it comes to what it's collected over time, it starts to piece together this imagery and this picture of what heaven is, what eternity is, what hell is. And the author of our book, Mark Moore, kind of gets into that a little bit this week, I believe, in terms of talking about where some of our imagery of hell actually comes from versus Scripture, where some of our imagery of heaven comes from versus actually coming from Scripture. And that's the thing I want us to kind of step back and sort out just a little bit today. Because as we start talking about this subject, I want us to always make sure that we're coming at it from an understanding of what Scripture teaches us versus what our brain has collected and assumed and pieced together from a multitude of different things over the course of our life. 
Because I do believe that heaven is an incredibly hopeful message for us. And I'm not going to try to take away, I want to clarify this right now, anything about what we think heaven is, but build upon it so that our perspective is aimed in the right direction, our expectations are pointed in the right place, and that we understand the heart of what God wanted us to grasp and wrestle with when we talk about heaven. Sound good? Let's play a little game here real quick. I'm going to say one word. I want you to go ahead and just say the first word that comes to your mind. Ketchup. Perfect. Football. Yeah, there we go. Um, Rain. Anybody else? Snow, okay. Right, there's different things in our mind that we associate with, different, right? Um, How about Coke? Pepsi, right? If I say heaven, what's the word that pops in your mind? Hell, right? Can I tell you a secret? There is no sentence in all of Scripture, in the entire book. You cannot find, if you put heaven and hell in quotations and do a biblical search, there is no sentence in all of Scripture where those two words are talked about together as heaven and hell. Did you know that? You won't find that. Every time you find the word, not every time, but when you find the word heaven, oftentimes, more often, far more often than hell, it's paired with the word earth. It's interesting. Heaven and earth is talked about all the time. Heaven and hell as a duo and combination are not really discussed in that sense. They don't say, the the authors of Scripture don't use the term heaven and hell and then continue to discuss. Now, does that mean there are not moments where Scripture talks about hell and talks about eternity with God. Yes, they're absolutely there, but more often than not, the conversation is heaven and earth. And I bring that up because I want us to start by laying a foundation of understanding that when Scripture and God is teaching us about what heaven is supposed to be, what we are supposed to understand as heaven when Scripture starts talking about it, and we've discussed this before over the course of this last year even, is not Heaven and earth, okay, there's the place far away with clouds, and then there is the place here with earth, right? This heaven and earth imagery goes back to the very beginning of Scripture in Genesis. This idea that in the garden, these concepts of heaven and earth were one. Where God's presence, God's rule, God's way, what God desired, was kind of united with where man was and where man dwelt. But you see that when man chooses their own way, man is kicked out of the garden, out of paradise, out of this place where God's perfect rule and reign, where everything is as he intended it to be, and we're not in that healthy relationship anymore. And I know that seems like a hard concept for us to grasp because I think we oftentimes just think of a really pretty garden where everything was just provided food-wise. But it was something more than that. It was things being right and good as God intended it, where man was eating from the tree of life and life was eternal and to the full, where all things were right and as God intended and not broken and destroyed. And if you see as we continue on through the book, there's these moments where God is trying to pull his people back into his presence. And there are those moments where Different individuals stumble across God's presence. So, for example, we have Moses, 
who comes across a burning bush, and the, bur- the bush is burning but not being consumed, and he says, take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. These two spaces get close. They're not overlapping, they're not combined, they're not the same, but it's trying to get back into that moment. And that presence of God in the tent of meeting that Moses continues to hold on to as he creates this tabernacle, this tent of meeting at God's instruction where God's presence is going to reside. There's now this space where God's presence is, where things are right. And it's kind of this imagery all throughout Scripture of this connection point. We go into the temple, this holy space where heaven and earth are somewhat connected in this space and moment, and to interact with God, to do the things we're called to do, to offer the offerings that we're called to offer, to do the stuff that's required of us when we step into the tabernacle. Or later, Solomon builds this big, beautiful temple, and the people come to the temple. And only certain people really go into these sacred, holy spaces where God's presence really is, and not lightly, and not often. This connection point of heaven and earth, where these overlaps kind of exist, God is always trying to bring us back into relationship with Him. And so when we talk about heaven throughout Scripture, this combination of heaven and earth is often used together because the imagery is always helping us understand this heavenly perspective, this heavenly mindset where things are different, this heavenly kingdom that is being established through Jesus, through the sacrifice, where now this barrier is broken and now the relationship is able to be lived in the full through the Holy Spirit. We have direct access to God's presence. There's no longer a need to go into the temple. We are now told that we are the temple. Heaven and earth coming that much closer together. That doesn't mean it's complete. It doesn't mean it's perfect. But we have more access to it, simpler access to it than we did before where there was the temple. And to kind of help us understand this concept just a little bit better, Jesus even teaches us in the midst of what he's training us to be as he's teaching his disciples, as he's up on the Sermon on the Mount, teaching all these people, understanding so much stuff and giving so much wisdom in all this teaching, he says these things when he's asked, how do we pray? Or he's not asked in that moment, he's teaching them. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see that passage and he's teaching us to pray. This is something that is expected every day. Not necessarily just to pray that prayer, but he's teaching us when we pray, which you should do regularly, consistently, multiple times a day, Pray like this, with this heart, with this mindset. And he uses this line right here. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. This prayer that Jesus is wanting us to make a regular part of our understanding, our heart, he's wanting it to like let it hardwire the way we see the world, the way we think about the world, the way we interact with the world. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Every day pray with this mindset that we are trying to see this world impacted and changed by a heavenly mindset, a heavenly perspective, a perspective where God is completely in control, where we are surrendered to his lordship, where his rule and reign is right, much like the garden. 
where we are in perfect relationship, being formed and made into His likeness and His image as we were intended to be from the beginning. Your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in this heavenly realm and space, which we are supposed to be seeking. We've done a poor job. We've pushed back against the temple and the laws and the things we were supposed to do. We've pushed back against that at times. We've not done a good job of following the law. And yet you continue to pursue us, you continue to provide opportunity, and you continue to invite us into that presence. And still today we have full access through the sacrifice of Jesus, through the helper of the Holy Spirit, all of these things we've talked about. And yet it is still a struggle for us to lay ourselves down, to surrender, to find time and space to seek that presence, to, for lack of a better term, climb up on the mountaintop. Because Moses met God's presence in that bush, right? He met God's presence in the tabernacle, in the tent of meeting, but God, Moses also had some pretty intense moments up on the mountaintop, right? This kind of imagery of going up into God's presence. We see the same thing in the New Testament. Jesus takes a few disciples, they go up to a mountaintop, and suddenly Jesus is transfigured into this more heavenly being, this something different than what they're used to seeing him as. And then there's this moment where they're meeting with these guys who have passed, like gone on. Prophets, Moses, Elijah, these guys that they're spending the time in their presence with God's presence in this amazing moment. They don't want to leave. They're like, this is just too good. This is too incredible to pass up. And Jesus is like, we have work to do. We can't just stay here in this perfect space. There's work to do. And I say all of this because it's important for us when we start a conversation about heaven to get our mind adjusted to how Scripture talks about heaven. As God's kingdom, God's way, this thing that is above us and beyond us that we have been separated from, that we are supposed to be reconnecting with, to see God's purpose and plan fulfilled, to see His work accomplished, to see people living in a trusting relationship, a community, a communal relationship with covenant relationship where we are following his plans and his ways and abiding by his law and his direction in our life. Does that make sense? And we see sometimes this mindset where we get focused on heaven as a reward. We let the imagery of all this perfect paradise overwhelm us and consume us so that that's all we think about. I can't wait to move beyond the hurt and the pain and the suffering that comes with this world, the hardship. I've read that in that place, in that space, we've sang about it already this morning, there won't be any crying, there won't be any dying, there won't be any pain, there won't be any struggle. All things will be made right. You see, we kind of think like we did about the garden, Except now it's a city in the clouds, right? I'd love to be able to just kick my feet up and know that the earth is producing what I need, right? This garden where I just pick any fruit I want. I can just kick back and enjoy God's presence and sit back and live the good life in this perfect paradise. Except it's not hanging in a hammock in some trees in a garden now. It's like in a mansion with golden streets because that's sweet, right? And we're focused on the paradise aspect of it, but we forget the garden scene in the beginning. God creates man to live in partnership with him, to subdue and have dominion over the world he has created. 
not just to kick back and do nothing. Adam and Eve were instructed to work in the garden. The trouble is when they sinned, now that work came with struggle. It came with strife. It came with turmoil. The land was kind of fighting back. I look at my grass in my yard right now, right? As sin enters the world, as things are impacted, I look at my dead, crunchy yard. Thank you, God, for some rain this weekend, right? It's been a blessing. But I look at what my yard has been, this dry, crunchy, barren spot, and I go, if I were trying to grow things there, if I were trying to make my livelihood off of that, it would be tough right now with the inconsistency of things, the struggle, the turmoil, the the struggle that comes with that, that's the pain and the toil of work were more of an issue than the work itself. The work was always there. So we think about this picture of what's to come. We oftentimes get caught up in the idea of just relaxing and resting and not having to deal with stuff anymore and everything just being perfect and kicked back and laid back. Or, the other is true, we think of heaven And our mind immediately goes to hell and says, I don't know what exactly heaven's going to be like. But every picture I've ever seen of what hell is supposed to be like, I know I don't want that. So I better do all that I get to go there. I don't know what it's going to be like. My imagination can run wild with a lot of crazy ideas of what is to come. But I know I definitely don't want to go here, so I better shoot for that. And what's important is, as we talk about heaven, as we talk about eternity, as we talk about all these things, we have to keep our mind rooted and established in God's Word and what God is trying to help us understand all throughout His story. He's not painting this picture consistently where He's saying, hey, you got to choose. Do you want to go to the good place or do you want to go to the bad place? He's offering us an invitation saying, do you want to live in relationship with me or do you want to choose your own road and live trusting your own understanding? One path, you can partner with me to have dominion over, rule over, subdue this wild place to help see my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you want to participate in this covenant relationship with me where I have offered you goodness, I have offered you a kingdom and a perspective and a way, a heavenly way that is higher than your earthly way. If you're settling for earthly pleasures and just chasing after what benefits you in the here and now, I'll let you do that. But what ultimately comes of that is a separation. A me saying, I don't want... I'd rather just do things my own way, God. Thanks, I appreciate the offer, but I'm going to go on my own road. I'm going to go on my own path. We saw what that did for Adam and Eve. God's mission and God's plan has not changed. He is still inviting us to participate in what He's trying to accomplish. His kingdom come. His will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. I've heard the phrase a few times. Sometimes people can be too heavenly minded for any earthly good. It's that mindset where we get so focused on the reward and escapism and this idea of just get me out of here that we don't actually understand what this whole story has been about. It's not about giving you a treat at the end of the road for being a good, well-behaved servant. That sounds like simple like dog training, right? You do the trick, I give you the treat, good job, right? 
But God is so much better than that. And He's asking us into something so much deeper than that. I don't know what all heaven looks like in the sense of right now, its existence, where God's at, what's going on there. I know that we have some imagery that we've seen, some things throughout Scripture that tell us there is no more suffering, there is no more pain, there is hope in this place because all things have been made right through what God would have for us to begin with. It is back to that paradise state where we are trusting in His life to the full, living the eternal life that is His good and perfect life and not our broken and sinful life. I know one thing above anything else is that why it is so good is that we are united with Him in perfect, unified relationship where we're not kind of going, God, I'm trying to pray, I'm trying to seek Your Holy Spirit, I'm trying to seek Your presence, and I'm struggling to hear Your voice right now. I wish I could hear You. I wish I understood what you were saying. I wish I knew what was going on. I just feel like I'm so distant. And I'm having a hard time knowing exactly what you want. Like that's a struggle, right? It feels hard. Even though God has offered us all this opportunity through His Son to have that relationship, it still feels challenging at times. It still feels hard for us to convince ourselves to go up that mountain and pursue that as consistently as we should because we quickly get discouraged we quickly feel ashamed and unworthy. We quickly feel so many things that make us go, I don't even know if I can get up that mountain. Maybe I shouldn't try. Maybe I'll just hope to do just enough good that He'll let me in, and then I'll figure it out someday. Because we're shooting for something different. God is saying, no, listen, I want you to participate in this relationship now. What is good about later is our relationship, and that relationship should not start then, it should begin now. We haven't looked at this yet, but our verse this week, verses, glad you got a little extra time to memorize this one without another one coming up next week, right? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Right off the bat, this verse makes us a little uncomfortable and nervous. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Oftentimes we talk about the bride being swept away to meet the bridegroom, but if we read this carefully, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Now there's a lot of conversation that can be had about the book of Revelation. I, I, you won't hear me get too wound up and into the weeds on Revelation very often. If you don't know this, I... Back when I was in college, I took an entire semester on what we call apocalyptic literature. We talked about that a couple weeks ago with Scripture, saying that it's kind of its own genre we don't have any reference to. We don't have anything that's like that. Apocalyptic literature is like, we studied like the end of the book of Daniel and Revelation. And I came in feeling like, I've got a pretty good grasp. I've read some stuff. I, I'm excited to learn more about what Revelation's all about. 
like this is going to be an exciting class. And I walked out with my head hurting, going, I know way less now than I did before. Not because the teacher was bad. The teacher was actually really good, one of the best professors I had throughout school. But I realized that for every person, there's kind of a different take and an understanding, a different possibility on, was this all written about something later? Is this all about written something that's yet to come? Is this all these different perspectives on different aspects of what is heaven? What is the end times? Are we in the end times? What is this thousand-year reign? Where do we go immediately? There's so many questions. And to be honest, Scripture doesn't give us very clear answers. I said this in a conversation a couple of times here lately. Sometimes we want to crack the code and try to figure out, like, man, it just feels awful right now. It feels like we're living in the end days. There's a lot of stuff in here. It sounds like a lot of stuff that's happening right now, and I think that this is pointing to this, and it's probably getting real close. Can I ask you a question? If Jesus goes out of his way to specifically teach his disciples that you will neither know the day or the hour of his return, of the end, because the Son, Jesus himself, doesn't know the time of the end... Would God then give us some hidden cryptic code to try to solve and figure out to know the end when Jesus specifically went out of his way to tell us he doesn't even know when that is? I'm not trying to be mean when I say that. It's just this idea that we're sometimes so desperate to have answers that we miss out on the goodness of what it actually says. What does a new heaven and a new earth actually mean? I'm not 100% sure except for the fact that I know that God wants to renew and restore and recreate this paradise that he began with. And I believe wholeheartedly that one day he will. Everything I read makes it sound like his kingdom is coming, his will will be done here on earth. Because it sounds like that city, that new Jerusalem, that the, big, the book begins with a garden, it ends with a city. If you want to kind of wrestle through more of this content, more of this idea, there's a good book I recommend. It's called Garden City by John Mark Comer. kind of tackles through this idea and how do we then live in that space and how do we work towards that goal. It's an excellent read. But this picture that we start with a garden and we end with a city, this city coming down to us to meet us being restored and recreated. I don't know the answers of how that looks and what that looks like. And I don't think Scripture gives us a lot of answers for a reason. Because Scripture continually is calling us into that relationship. It is constantly calling us to know Him and to love Him and to serve Him here and now. It is constantly calling us to chase after His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven now. And I don't think that means that the end doesn't matter. I think it does. Because I think there is a promise of eternity. We see passages. I read this passage often times at a funeral service. Because I think it's a very hopeful passage. And I don't want you to misunderstand me and say, I don't know, I'm throwing everything I know about heaven out the window. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we have to be careful not to be so rooted and grounded in an imagined perspective of what heaven is that we miss what Scripture actually wants us to see about heaven. But this passage talks about some other imagery that we can find hope in. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. 
For this we declare to you by word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, there's a couple of things to unpack here. Number one is that the most important part of this, the piece of the puzzle we can't miss because we're so busy with the imagery that we may or may not understand, is this. There is hope for those of us who are in Christ because Christ will return, rise up, raise up those who have already fallen asleep or already died in this world. We will all be reunited to meet Him, to be in His presence because we saw back here, God's dwelling place is to be with us. The hope of this story, the hope of eternity, is us living in that perfect, unbroken relationship, fully restored as it was intended to be from the beginning, where Adam and Eve walked in the garden with their God. You realize that's what's beautiful, right? And if His presence isn't beautiful to us, mansions, streets of gold, whatever it could be, some of us think that singing worship songs for all of eternity sounds like a nightmare. I'm not saying that's actually what we're going to do, because I just don't know. We get these pictures in our head of what is going to happen, and I don't think we fully understand what all that new heaven and new earth are going to look like. But what I absolutely believe, it is that we are all together as one, those of us who are found in Christ, back in perfect relationship with our Savior. Together. Hope right? It doesn't matter what else is there to me, as long as he is. The other side of this is it says we get caught up to meet him in the air. This is the detail we get fixed on, right? And all of a sudden we go, ah, does that mean we're, we're taking off, right? But he's also coming down, so this gets confusing. Paul is using words and imagery here that were common among that day for people going out to greet an emperor or a king who is coming into a city. The language he's using here is that of welcoming the king here. Now, the king is descending from the clouds. Maybe Paul is saying, I don't know, right? I don't know the specifics. Are we going to float into the sky? I don't think so, personally. I think he's coming to reestablish. I think he's coming to return for his people. We are all rise up to be there together to see and meet him. But at the end of the day, what I know to be good and what I believe with all of my heart is that He is good, that He is worth spending all of eternity with. And whether that means we are still working to build something beautiful here in this place, a new earth that's been reestablished and we get to try again at what we failed to do the first time in better, more perfect relationship with Him, whether we sit back on porches in mansions, I, I don't know. I think sometimes we misunderstand some of the imagery that's given and we focus on what we may or may not understand and we miss the beauty of the detail. There is hope in Jesus Christ that we can live in relationship with Him now 
and live passionately towards his goals of seeing his kingdom come, his will be done here and now on earth as it is in his heavenly perspective, his heavenly control, his heavenly realm, his heavenly kingdom where everything is perfect and right and things are ruled under his way. And we're not relying on our own understanding, but in all of our ways we're acknowledging him so he can make our paths straight and we can build in community and relationship with him. Maybe that's what it looks like. But right now, I know for sure that is what we have been called to. And Scripture continually calls us back to that perspective and gives us just enough glimpses of what is ahead to say, be hopeful. Trust me, the end is worth it. But trust me in this, the process, the journey can be worth it as well. It's not all about the destination. The here and the now and the walk with me in this moment can be just as good and just as rewarding. And it's kind of like we talk about in here. We come into this space, not because this is heaven. This is not sacred in and of itself. We didn't build this building because it is holy ground. We are now the temples of the Holy Spirit where we walk That is where the presence of God is. If we are gathered here, we know that He is with us, right? And we are gathered in His presence to worship and celebrate Him. And we talk about it this way. Throughout the course of the week, my hope is the Holy Spirit is leading us and guiding us, directing us, that we are investing in our relationship with Jesus Christ, living the life He has called us to, making an impact on our community serving and seeing fruit being produced out of the effort and the the things that God is doing in our heart and our life, and that fruit is pouring back out of us Monday through Saturday. And then Sunday could be this moment of celebration of the resurrection, celebration of the stuff that has been accomplished in our hearts and lives throughout the entire week. Imagine a life lived walking in relationship with Him that bears much fruit and sees amazing kingdom work done. Can you imagine the kind of parties that were happening in the book of Acts? Thousands were being added to their number daily. People were coming together who fought and hated each other just weeks before, but now they've been transformed by Jesus and the work that he's done in their life. And incredible things are happening. Communities are being transformed, so much so that everybody else is nervous and attacking that entity because it's scary what's going on there. It seems like some kind of revolt, some sort of thing that's being raised up because why are these people even getting along? We don't understand. People were scared or people were excited. Can you imagine the kind of celebrations that were going on during that season of growth in the church? Could we be as hopeful about what could be accomplished here in the now as we sometimes are about what is waiting for us later? I believe heaven And what is to come, a new heaven and a new earth, God establishing his perfect presence as our king is going to be incredibly beautiful and worthy of inspiring hope in us. But I also believe that the work he wants to do now in working towards that should bring us a lot of hope and means for celebration and rejoicing and joy that is just as focused on the here and now. I don't want us to become so focused on what we don't fully understand and we don't know exactly how it's going to play out that we miss out on the what is available and offered to us right now in this moment. When we talk about heaven, there's a lot of questions we can wrestle with. And I will tell you now, you are more than welcome to always ask those. 
some of you already have and go, yeah, good luck with that. He's real helpful. <laughs> because I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes Scripture just doesn't give us enough information to know for sure. But I will tell you this, no matter what, at the end of the day, my best effort is always going to be to point us back to what God's Word actually says versus what we've been told it says or what we've been told to focus on because of it or sometimes what we just assume we're supposed to focus on because that's just... I want us to see what it actually says and what it's actually calling us to so that we can be people who are following and doing what we've actually been called to do versus missing the point and chasing after something that right now may not be the most important thing. My heart's desire is always for us to be chasing after the source of why heaven is good. That is never going to be a golden street. That is never going to be a mansion. That is never going to be a fluffy white yard. That is always going to be the presence of our Savior. Always going to be the amazing, glory-filled presence of our God. Things we get glimpses of in the book of Revelation. John sees these visions of the city coming down. John always promised to keep coming back for us. That no matter how many times we fail and fall on our face, you have come back for us. And I thank you for the hope we have in you. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us as a people who have studied your word this last year, trying to understand concepts from the garden at the very beginning, and trying to wrestle through all these ideas of what is transfiguration what is the ascension what is atonement what is the cross what are all these pieces of your kingdom and the messiah and the son of man and all these topics we've covered how do they impact how we live now father all those things are beneficial and good to learn but at the end of the day i believe with my whole heart that you are always calling us to seek your face and be in relationship with you that you will continue through the work of your Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us. And so, Father, I pray that we would live with the hope of eternity in your presence, but that we would first learn and realize that through all the questions, through all the answers, through all the stories, through all the things we unpack, they all keep pointing back to you and your goodness and being in your presence. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us, to, like we said last week, to fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. That we would realize that all of that great cloud of witnesses were chasing after a relationship with you to follow in your will and your way to accomplish your purposes, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Father, I love this picture you've painted for us. And I pray that you would help us to fall in love with that image of your word, that you would help us to be so excited we couldn't help but want to share it with others, that you would help us to realize that we can endure because we know we are pressing forward towards perfect immersion in your presence, perfect unity and relationship with you, and that we want nothing more, that we would be like the psalmist, who says, better is one moment in your presence than thousands of days elsewhere. Help us to truly believe that in our hearts and live our lives at now as if that were true. As we 
come to the table, Father, as we do all these things, I pray that we would seek your face with all of our heart, knowing that you are promising to never leave us or forsake us, never leaving us here alone, that you will return one day to meet with us again, to be here with us, because you created us to be with you, and you desire to be with us. We celebrate and worship you with that knowledge. It's in the precious name of Jesus, I pray. In this moment, we're coming to the table. And as we do that, I'll just remind you of that prayer. And I was reminded of it just a moment ago. It's this idea that as Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, your will be done. Not my will, not what I want. I want what you want. What I want is to find a different way to accomplish this. If it's possible, take this cup from me. Death and pain and suffering and hardship are not desirable. There is a beauty in looking ahead to some hope of heaven beyond now. Realizing that I would rather just be away from the hardship and the hurt. But at the end of the day, Jesus sets the example for us. It's not my will be done, it's your will. Whatever hardships I will endure, whatever it is you bring before me, I will do because I know you and your presence and your will and your way are always worth more than whatever it is I have to face. So as we commune with him this morning, we are celebrating in the goodness of the fact that God has never left us or forsaken us. He has always invited us back into relationship. He keeps coming back for us. In this moment, we lift him up and elevate him and celebrate Him, and pursue Him, and try to commune with Him in relationship. And we do that by saying, God, it doesn't matter what it is I face this week. It doesn't matter what hardship lies ahead. It doesn't matter what hardship I've gone through this week. I know that I can get through it because the, the goodness of who You are and the promises of what You have said. It is worth enduring to the end. And I will do whatever I can to see Your kingdom come, Your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. We do this in remembrance of you. Father, I just pray that in this moment and this time, we would seek your face, find your face, find your presence, and that you would continue that transformative work in our hearts. We do this in remembrance of you. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray.
Oh, 